Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're here to tell you that hiring employees is not the holy grail. That's right. <laughs> we just And this this show will only be seven hours and forty-two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, this has been coming up a lot lately, and we were talking just talking before the show how it seems like there is a Hiring employees is kind of like a, a a milestone in the journey of any entrepreneur. It's it seems like maybe it's an American thing. I don't know, but it's like there's something that maybe sounds impressive or feels like an ego thing, or or you just feel like it's the only option for growing your business. You don't know what any other options might be, and it's like oh, I, I finally hired my first person, or it's like oh yeah, I've got ten employees or twenty employees, and and, and I. I try to always say this. I want to say it right up front so people don't miss it. I don't think hiring employees is a bad idea. It's <laughs> it's not necessarily a bad idea. It is one way to create leverage in your business. I the when I do think it's a bad idea is when you're not when you don't want to have employees. If you think scaling your business requires that you have employees or for you to be taken seriously as a business owner, you have to hire employees, but you know you kind of don't want them or you're scared of the idea or you definitely know you don't want to fire someone, then maybe that's not the way to create leverage for you. And I think a lot of our listeners being sort of in the authority business, expertise-based businesses, they really don't need to hire employees. They don't need to. There's lots of other ways for expertise-type businesses to create leverage and scale their profits versus their headcount or their revenue. So anyway, just wanted to say, if you <laughs> want to be a good boss and you are hiring employees for the right reasons, then go for it. No, no problem with that. Well, yes. And I think there's an <laughs> and. And the and is that when you think about how you manage your business financially, when you have employees, it changes by a ton. Because typically you're paying people before you're getting the revenue from your client. So cash is always king, but cash flow is is queen here. Let's use queen. Um, it, it really truly is because if you have to pay, you know, $50,000, $100,000 to an individual before you get that money from the client, you need to have that cash available. So it changes how you think about your business day to day over and above all of the um, the issues, challenges, and joys of having other people work with you in your business. So, I mean, I have managed employees as a VP. We had, you know, maybe, I don't know, I think I had 10 or 12 people under me at any given time. And, and I was responsible enough in this scenario that I did lose sleep over payroll. Mm-hmm. Now, you were the actual boss when you had employees. <laughs> so do you remember, do you remember that when you were at that stage before you hired? Did you, you guys must have immediately started hiring, right? Like that we must did. have been part of the plan. Yeah, we did because it, we, we couldn't um, achieve what we wanted to without employees. I mean, like who was going to do the work? I couldn't sell and do the work together at the same time. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about... Um, I, I do want to kind of explore employees for a second because I think there's there, like I said, it's perfectly fine if you if you are going to be a good boss, you want to be a good boss, you want to be a leader, that's great, that's great. You're, you're really entrepreneurial. You want to hire smarter people than you and just stay out of the way. Cool, mm -hmm. totally fine. Yeah. Um, for folks who maybe aren't like that, that are kind of um, have potential to be a soloist or a really small firm, 
have the potential to do that. I, I think there's, I've been thinking about it the past couple of days, and I think there's kind of two different ways to, to scale yourself, meaningfully different ways to scale yourself up with employees, maybe three. I think the first one is mini-me's. Mm-hmm. It's like you- Classic. That's the classic one. And that's the one yep. that to me is the most scary. Uh, it's probably the, probably, I'm going to say like 80% of the time, that is a bad idea because the scenario that usually presents itself is you're freelancing or you're like a solo consultant and, and like, oh my God, my marketing started working and I've got more demand than supply. So you're like, well, how am I going to, how am I going to take on all of this work? It's like, I want to make hay while the sun shines. I can't take on all this work by myself. I'm going to be, you know, working 80 hours a week. So you hire someone who's like you, a miniature version of you, who's maybe younger or less experienced uh, or cheaper, basically. Mm-hmm. And you probably mark up their time. You're probably billing for your time. And then you probably hire someone who kind of does what you do and you bill them out. Maybe they're, uh, maybe they're going to be a junior and you're going to do the higher level strategic stuff on the, on the engagement. And then they're going to kind of cross the T's and dot the I's, but they're basically a mini version of you. They're you three years ago or five years ago. And to me, this is the scariest model because it's like, it's, it's not, that is not a great strategic decision. It's probably better to just not take on the extra work or, uh, change the way you're pricing to decrease the demand instead of, increasing the supply but taking that that zero to one employee thing is uh i think it is very mm, i just see it go wrong so many times it just goes wrong there's an example there's a specific example i can think of where this can be a really good solution okay and that's where you're in some kind of a business where there's a big analysis piece that you can farm out i think i I would call that something different well, it's people think about it as a mini me though, because they're like, oh, I'm going to hire this person who's kind of like I was. I'm going to have them do the analysis and then I'm going to groom them mm-hmm. to become me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw that a lot with, um, with compensation consulting would be an example where there's a lot of basic data analysis. I think there's certain scientific and analytical businesses where this could make sense, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, where you can make it work. I, I just I want us to show both sides of this because sure. you know, they can it depends on who it is, what right. kind of business they're doing, you know, what your business model is and what you do really well, what your genius zone is. Yes. So okay, I should probably go into the other two categories. So the the other the, in my head, this is not like from any it's just from my head, and so I totally could be wrong. But the other two kinds. So the first kind is hiring mini me's, which are inexperienced versions of yourself that you're going to mark up their time and bill them out and make the profit off of that. Um, the other thing, the other one that kind of could be, I think what you just described could be kind of in between the mini me and this other one, which is um, hiring for specialization where, where you have something comes up on a project or, or you get a project that comes in the door that requires a skill set that you just don't have. And you never had. It's it's just not something you do. And you you find a specialist probably on a contract basis. It probably wouldn't be an employee. Yeah. And you'd bring them in as like the sort of sharpshooter on that particular thing. Um, which t- I mean, if you if you did this enough, then you'd start to have you start to be like, well, maybe I should just hire this person that does this very special thing, like database optimization, or I don't know, 
analysis of Central American political upheavals. You know, like this thing that you don't do, but you found demand for it. Uh, and and you do want to take the work and you know someone that you can bring in as a specialist. And it's strategic. Let's add that. It's strategic to your business. Right. You know, it's not just because there's money to be had. Yeah, it's a force multiplier. Like it's a direction you decided you do want to go. Mm-hmm. You want to go in that way. And then, yeah. and then, and that's kind of the hiring people who are smarter than you kind of thing where it's like you found some demand and you're just going to hire these specialists to come in. Maybe you, you know, I'm sure you bring some kind of something to the party or you wouldn't have gotten the, the gig in the first place. Uh, but maybe you're more, you maybe in this scenario, you become more entrepreneurial and strategic and business ownery and less like client delivery ish, if you see what I mean. So you, you're st- you're just bringing you're assembling the superheroes, and then you're sort of like, um, sort of like the puppet master. I'm trying to think of like a <laughs> an X Men metaphor, but I'm not even I'm not I don't even know who's the guy who's the guy in the wheelchair in the X Men. Anyway, you're sort of like I would know. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, dear listener, help me out. Um, it's, it's like someone behind the curtain a little bit more. You're a little bit. A little bit farther away from client work and and you've got a team of specialists who are doing it for you um i mean you could you could say that that's like mini me's but i really do see a distinction between you know bringing in people who are actually better than you've ever been or plan to be at a particular aspect of the client delivery yeah i I've, i always call that me plus okay yeah i mean that's that's how i hired people in my in my multi uh consultant business is I wanted them to be better than me. I didn't want somebody like me. We already had me. I wanted somebody better. Right. Right. Yeah. But the the trick becomes like, but if they know that they're going to cost more than you. So how do you make a profit? But anyway, so you charge more. I, I made a lot of money doing that is you find people who are really good at what they do and you give them a system that they can work within and then you charge and there has to be some benefit to them. Otherwise, they just go out on their own. Mm -hmm. And so and then you charge accordingly. Absolutely. You can make a lot of money that way. Sure, sure, sure. Um, And then there's sort of a third category of employee that I see, which is, again, is probably a contractor at first, but then if you're just sending a lot of work their way or you're getting a lot of churn through your contractors and you're always having to switch and switch and switch, you might want more stability and hire out administrative type stuff that's it's basically all back office stuff. It's not really client facing. It may be administratively it's client facing, but it's stuff like arranging travel and triaging your email and mm-hmm. posting your YouTube videos. And it's really like really not, it's really not client work. It's definitely not client work. It might, it might, there might be some touch points where the client is aware of them, but it's like an assistant, your bookkeeper, um, yeah. things like that. And where you might, I, to me, this one, this third one that I'm talking about is the one that makes the most sense, at least for someone with a worldview like me, where I say all the time, like, I don't want to have employees. If I was going to have employees, this would be the area where I would bring one on to just deal with the busy work of that this that my job generates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just see those three categories of employees as very, very different. And like in from a from a, I guess I wanted to roll that out for people listening because I think they're meaningfully different. And like, if you're just thinking, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And you're like, that means I have to hire employees, which I disagree with. It could mean a lot of things, but if you have to hire employees, I would, I would say like, which one of these three categories are you hiring for? 
and yeah. and does it map to your genius zone and your overall business strategy, your objectives for the business? And and for me, the top of mind thing for me is like, is this actually going to increase my profit? Is this going to increase my profit, or yes. is is it going to uh, or my impact? Like, what is it? Am I, or am I just like throwing bodies at too much demand? Yeah. I mean, I, I think in addition to mapping to all the things you said, the other map is to your monetization strategy. But yes, super important. Yeah. And as I said earlier, your cash flow, mm-hmm. because you can hire a whole bunch of employees and go broke, you know, five times faster than you would otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I, I think the there's another thing, but I think it falls into the specialization or the me plus, which I hear a lot, which is somebody says, okay, I'm ready to hire a salesperson which is almost always a bad idea the first time you come up with the idea Um, because it's usually because something isn't working and you just think there is this magical solution in the form of a salesperson and it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It isn't, it isn't, it isn't the Holy grail. It isn't magical. It can be when your business is in the right spot and you have enough time to devote to um, grooming a, a salesperson, but mm-hmm. it's typically, uh, yeah, it's typically not the right next move. I just had a coaching call with a biz dev guy. He just got brought in to a professional services firm to, you, and you know, you know what the partners were thinking. Like, we need more clients. Let's mm-hmm. get a sales guy. Mm-hmm. And so, and then he comes in and he's like, he's like, well, the reason, you know, and he's, he knows what's up. He's like, well, I, I can't sell this. There's nothing to sell. We need to change the positioning. We need to, mm-hmm. you know, create package packages for people. And they're like, no, that's not how we do it here. And he's like, well, I can't. <laughs> like they they spring they wanted to sprinkle sprinkle sales on to the business, and like that that there would be no other change required other than bringing in this person to do sales. Oh. And the sales salesperson's talking to me. And he's like, how do I make them understand? Like that doesn't it won't work. And anyway, I just. Yeah. It's a side oh, and, point, and the but. worst part is I can picture the conversation with the partners after your biz dev guy comes back and they're like, well, if we do that, we've got to spend another $150,000 to like reposition and to do all our marketing and we're going to lose six months. Why did we hire this guy now? What were we thinking? I, mean, I, can, I can hear the conversation yeah. in my head. Yeah. What they really needed was a consultant to come in and like redo you know, I, I'm like making giant, massive leaps of faith and assumptions here, but, <laughs> but, it, but right, like they didn't, they probably would have gotten where they wanted to go more quickly if they just hired someone to come in and kind of like read them the riot act and then they could decide whether or not they wanted to do something about it if they well, really wanted to make some changes, but. Or a biz dev person shows up. I've had this happen to me in my other business and said, no, you're not ready. Mm-hmm. I said, really? Well, tell me why I'm not ready. And they proceeded to explain everything that we needed to do in order to be ready. And I thought, you know what? I don't necessarily agree with everything, but they're more right than mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I had to yes. go down that road because there's just this, it just looks so attractive to just find somebody to sell and they're yeah. just going to solve all your problems. Right, right. A little bit of a tangent, but yeah, it's totally related. Um, okay, so the the thing I wanted to get to, um, I've been thinking about this so much, and like uh, I, I think it's hopefully it's helpful to think of these different categories of employees and which ones might not make sense, even though it might make sense to hire. All right, so all of that aside, um, I wrote an email that sort of had a cliffhanger at the end of it. It'll probably be out by the time you hear this, but about other ways to leverage 
without hiring employees. And we've talked about this on and off over mm-hmm. the years. Uh, but I went back and listened to the Todd Tresseter episode from, geez, I don't know, 2018 maybe? It was like, oh, it was, yeah. I don't know. It was a long time ago. It's and one of our top episodes, by the way. It's in our top 10. He was great. And, uh, and if for folks, if you want to go back and listen to that, there's some, he, it's pretty dense. Uh, and he's from the hedge fund world and uses a lot of language that is not everyday language, but, uh, but boy, does he know what he's talking about in, in the first half of the show, it's most, mostly about wealth creation for you as an individual in three different categories of three different asset classes and ways to generate wealth as an individual. The top one being starting a business, business asset class, he calls it. And then so the second half of the show, we focused in on just that type of person, like someone who didn't go real estate route, didn't go, you know, 401k and stock market stuff, paper assets, and business people scaling up for soloists. We, I actually put them on the spot and was like, okay, let's say a freelancer or a solo consultant is listening to this. How does that kind of person create leverage? And it's a, it's probably worth listening to if you find this interesting, but I can kind of summarize uh, my takeaways from it. It's a little bit different than the way he put it, but, but to me, there's like four stages almost of creating leverage in your business. But before you can do any of them, and, and they're all going to increase your productivity. So you're going to be able to have, you're going to deliver bigger results with less labor. So basically everyone that equates to time, everyone listening that equates to time. So in a smaller amount of time, you can deliver bigger results to your clients, or you can work the same amount of time and deliver way bigger results. But the idea is that, that you can increase your productivity. You could think of it, you know, assuming you're getting paid for it, it's also increasing your profitability. And if you're trading time for money, none of this makes any sense. So like, you, like I almost need to predicate the whole thing by saying, if you're billing by the hour, just shut this episode off because what we're going to talk about next is how to deliver more with less work. And so if you're getting paid by the hour, that means you're going to be penalized financially for improving your customers' lives more quickly. So it's like, you can't skip over that piece. And this gets to your, your comment earlier about like your, your, uh, money model really matters here because mm-hmm. that model will destroy any any of this so okay so let's say you are giving fixed prices however you calculate them it's productized services they're just you just set them or they're value-based projects and, and you base them on the value to the customer of the given engagement then there's sort of i, I see it's like a continuum but there's to me there's like four things you can do if you're at that point uh, and you're, you're working a lot, like you're working more than you want. You're probably doing okay, but you're working more than you want, maybe 40, 50, 60 hours a week. It's like, ah, this is no good. What, what can I do to start to create leverage without hiring employees? And so to me, the first one is you need to bootstrap your way into having some time to work on the business. So I would call this, well, the four phases I have written down here is like reclaim, uh, document, delegate, and automate. So first, you got to get some kind of time back to work on your business. And how are you going to do that? There, I mean, I think there are a few ways. Like you could let go your um, nightmare client, let's say. Maybe you've got a nightmare client or you've got one that's just really it's time for them to move on. It's time to part ways. You're not delivering that much value to them anymore. Or um, you could delete Instagram from your phone. I, you know what I mean? <laughs> Like you could look at the activities that you're doing in your business and, and, and really honestly say to yourself, which ones of these things are, are producing the most results 
and which ones are, are you know, taking 80% of my time and not producing any demonstrable results. Like what can you cut out? What can you cut out, whether it's a client or a low profit activity, or um, it's just time wasting, whatever. Um, yeah. All right. So the next thing is I would document that once you've got that time, it's like, look for anything repetitive and document it. We've talked about this a million times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like having, just write it down, have an SOP. You will be shocked. You'll be shocked. If you do not, if you've never done this, you'll be shocked at how amazing it is. Uh, it creates so much mental space when you can just run through a checklist instead of having to enter creative mode every two weeks when you do your office hours or every week when you do your podcast or every every month or two when you invite a guest onto your podcast or you do a pod- outreach to other shows or you're going to speak at a conference. <laughs> like If you just have this checklist every time, it's like a miracle. It's so great. And, and you'll change it over time. It'll grow. But having it written down is just fabulous. It's can't say enough about it, but we've talked about that before. If you're at that point, I think, and I know I'm on a, I'm kind of monologuing here, so feel free to interrupt me. But um, the, the third one, delegate. This is a point where maybe you could do that, bring in a contractor, bring in a VA, bring in someone to do that back office stuff where they're probably, they're almost definitely not going to start out as an employee, but they're helping you out with this, but you know, these procedures that you've already documented. So you know how often they happen, you know exactly how they happen. You get, you hand them off to this person uh, who, you know, hopefully is competent enough to get through it. You, one of the things that you have change your life. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things you have them do is update the document as they're going through the process, but you know a good way to do the process. Maybe they'll find a better way to do it, but at least you've got a starting point. They don't have to figure it out. They just need to run the playbook. And by the way, I just want to chime in here. That is super important. And Todd is the one who convinced me of that actually in his book, which is when the person who does it owns the update and you check them to make sure the update is is being done, you are protected. And that mm-hmm. is critical because if that person gets run over by a bus or all of a sudden they say bye-bye, you've got mm-hmm. the ability to, to immediately take that and hand it to somebody else. Yeah, you've got that institutional knowledge. It's not going to leave when they walk out the door for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also allows you to to cycle through people who, you know, it. it I mean, I, I've done the VA thing uh, for in 2019. I did it for, the, for 2019. And it's cool. It is cool. Um, but I did have to cycle through like three or four people before I found someone that was like a good fit. I know you've had a similar experience where, you know, you had Kathy for like 50 million years. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's part of that is, again, another side mention is what you want to do is you want to be very, very clear, which is why it's so important to document what it is you want this person to do. Is what a lot of people do is they kind of go, I don't know, I feel like I need some help. And, and if you pick somebody who doesn't know how to harness you and sit you down and figure out what needs doing, you're going to run around in circles and you will probably cycle through a few people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that since there is that, there's always going to be some kind of, of uh, latency or waste, the time burned communicate you know in communications with this person so yeah. it it needs to be uh, in ramping them up getting them logged in maybe even creating an email for them so it's like so it's like that that onboarding and that um it's kind of like 
it's like I keep on I'm trying not to say the word waste, but that's kind of what it is. It's like it's like you you gain this productivity, but it's at a cost, both time and money. And so if you're churning through these people you're trying to delegate to too quickly, it's just going to have negative. It's going to be like a net loss of productivity. Think of it as ramp up time. You know, like when I added a, a bookkeeping firm this year, there, it was a ramp up time and we there was a learning curve for both of us. You know, we changed systems. I had to learn how they worked. They had a system. It was part of why I hired them. I wanted their system, but I had to figure some things out. They had to figure some things out. Um, you know, some settings needed to be changed when I looked at a report, those kinds of things. It takes a while, but that's the other piece is that you want that joint commitment from both parties up front that you know there's going to be this implementation period. And then just like if you were going to hire an employee, you give yourself a certain amount of time, right? Like the first 90 days in hiring is critical. And maybe it's 90 days for this. Maybe it's 30 days. Maybe it's 60. But right. it's you've got this this time period where you're both understanding that that's the learning curve and you're each invested in yeah. making it work. Because if somebody's not invested, you'll see it right away. And yeah. that's usually when you want to cut them loose. If they're yeah. not invested, yeah, they're just like I don't want to spend any more time. Flaking out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like reclaim, step one, reclaim, step two, document, step three, delegate, step four, automate. So this, so since I'm a developer and probably there's a decent number of developers listening, uh, I largely skipped step three. I went straight from document to automate <laughs> with a lot of things. You think? Yeah. But there was a ton of waste there too. Like I've, I probably rewrote the way that I run my workshops a half a dozen times, like from scratch um, until this year. Uh, this year I was just like, I finally settled. I think at the end of 2021, I was like, okay, I finally am happy with the way this works. I don't feel like I'm going to change it every single time now. Um, so I'd iterated enough that I was happy with it. And then I was like, okay. And I standardized it across all of my workshops and it's great. It's like so great. But for most people like mere mortals that can't code or whatever, they're going to have to get, um, they're probably going to want to not skip the delegate step. They probably have to not skip the delegate step. So you get everything documented and that's going to help right away. And then you delegate it to someone to run the system. And then you'll have to hire someone to set up automation once you're like, yeah, this this process, it's just not changing that much anymore. So, you know, because code is expensive and you might not need code code. You could maybe use no code solutions like Zapier and just plug things together. Um, but in general, you're probably going to, non-developers are probably going to bring in some kind of an expert to maybe set up their email automation or some kind of onboarding for a course, you know, that's attached to your payment platform or whatever, you know, uh, something attached to Calendly that's going to automatically um, send all the information that your upcoming podcast guests are going to need to know and the reminders to make sure they hopefully show up and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. you, yeah. You're definitely not going to want to jump from step one to step four, even if you're a developer, because like me, you'll learn that it's like, geez, I rewrote, I should have maybe, you know, mapped this out a little bit better or thought about it a little more. I might've saved myself a year of rewrite, 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 you know, that there's a, a, a sort of, uh, whatchamacallit, like a joke in the development community, like, um, a month of coding saves an hour of planning or something like that, <laughs> <laughs> which I totally did. But anyway, um, well, yeah, and I think you know if you're thinking about doing this and you're and you're not 
you know, a coder um, and I'll put myself in that category. There's a few things that I did on my own that I'm really okay. happy with, like Zapier. Mm-hmm. Um, I automated like maybe three or four different things with that that help. But it's um, sometimes what happens is you delegate to sort of an old fashioned VA who's not really about using tools or automation. They use the documentation and they just sort of do it. And that's not you're going to be your best choice of a VA. So if you want to automate, think about that in your choice of using VA. So there are some VAs who have a standard suite of of apps that they use. So they know them like crazy. Mm. And when they onboard you, they put you in their apps. And that might be really attractive for some people. For some others, um, myself included, is I always want somebody who's looking at everything and trying to figure out, it's fine if they have favorites, but I want to understand like why this, what are the advantages? What can't I do if we make this switch? Because a lot of times when you do that, you get bound into a system or an app of some sort. So just think about that when you're making your choice of the administrative resource that you want to hire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, when you get there, it's amazing, you know, Mm -hmm. and things will still break. Like I just launched TPS and something went sideways with my, my welcome emails. I like, for some reason, like some people didn't get them. I don't know what was going on. I don't know if spam traps or something i don't know what happened but you know it was no big deal but but things but i have to fix it you know and it, yep. it's like things happen uh but boy when you get to the automate phase a lot like customer touch points or client touch points that benefit from being instantaneous Ooh, boy it sure is nice and it's like you don't you don't just you just don't have to think about it at all it, it does break sometimes yeah. but usually it doesn't yeah. And, you know, remember that I think you told the experience on the show where, you know, when you're working with a VA that's not not a great fit for you, you're just always wondering if it's done. Like you delegate oh, yes. something, <laughs> right? You delegate something and yeah. you're like, are they doing it? Do they do it? And then it's like not actually off your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but with automation, yeah. it is it, it's like because I had the same experience when uh, whenever I experimented with a VA to do, you know, like like what, where I need to volley information back and forth. Like, could you go research this and create a spreadsheet of X, Y, and Z? And then I was going to do the next step and I'm like waiting to do the next step. And I'm like, are you done yet? Like, when are you going to be done? You know, tapping my foot yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, versus. Well, cause you're used to, you're used to being solo and having it instantaneous, at least right. instantaneous when you're ready to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. But before we leave this top topic, I want to go back to this list and maybe add document again underneath <laughs> automate. Um, you know, I just had this experience where I was reworking a bunch of my welcome sequences, and it was hugely helpful that I had documented them for the first time the last time I did the overhaul because it's in ConvertKit for me. I don't remember all of the rules. I mean, I just don't remember. I don't like program it on a daily basis. And having that documentation made it so much easier. I mean, I spent a couple of hours on it instead of like a couple of days that it took me last time. And yes, I did document the new changes as well. So yeah, document. And it just seems so silly sometimes as a solo. You're like, well, it's just me. I'll remember that. Um, But I, and I might remember it, but I don't want to have to. Right. I want to have it in a place where I can just go grab it and and deal with it. And mm-hmm. I could have handed that off to somebody too. I chose yeah. not to, but I could have. Sure. Okay. So so 
I want to loop back quick. Let's loop back to money now, sort of money model. Oh, I love talking about money. <laughs> because if if the if the if we go all the way back to um, you know what would you be considering hiring hiring employees for? Well, it's it's always because you think they're going to create leverage. You think it's going to make your business better. You wouldn't yeah. do it because you thought it was going to make your business worse. So what? So then kind of like going here we're going down the path of like okay as long as you're not trading time for money you can create leverage by going through these sort of productivity phases or stages or whatever and you could be at different different points in different parts of your business with these different stages like maybe your email stuff is really automated but your uh, i don't know client onboarding is more manual or whatever like the, it can be something that is is a work in progress across the business Another way to create leverage, there's actually there are several more ways to create leverage that I don't usually think about, you know, like borrowing money. And, you know, if you, if your business is like a yarn store, for example, and you're just opening from scratch, you need to borrow 50 grand just to have inventory that you're going to sell for 100 grand. So like that's another kind of leverage, but that doesn't really apply to our kinds of businesses, um, you know, other than initial setup like a laptop and whatnot. Um, but you can create leverage by just by value pricing like straight up value pricing is a way to create leverage so is leverage the right word maybe not yeah i don't know that i would call that leverage to me it's just it's it's pricing based on outcomes but it's it's a great way to make money and to to upsize your business but i don't know that it's leverage yeah so this is a funny this is i, I know why i'm i'm sort of on the fence here so I think there's there's two ways to think of leverage like value pricing in many in some ways is better for the client it actually it's in some ways it it is better for the client in in several ways actually one is you're going to stick to your price you're not going to go over budget another is that you up front know what their desired outcome is so you're not just driving around hoping to magically land where they they want to end up uh, so there are you actually can produce better results with value pricing, not because of the the price, but because of what you have to do first to properly right. value price. Right, right. The conversation. Yeah, you begin with the end in mind. So I guess so. It creates it creates some leverage on that side of the fence because, it, in a sense, you're producing better results than you probably would have otherwise. But there's also the notion of creating like leverage that just applies to you how am i how to how to describe this so like like todd in the todd episode he's never he never ever he's not really talking about client results or anything like that he's talking 100 percent personal so it's like in his in his world it's all about creating leverage for yourself so you get better results but with less effort it's all there's no client involved it's mm -hmm. all it's all like local leverage so in that regard value pricing done well absolutely creates leverage because you get a much better result than you would have if you just sort of underpriced yourself and, and with the meter running so in that localized just your business sense uh, you can get much better results for yourself uh, if you're doing it well which takes practice but well, you can yeah you can have a productized service and you can double or triple the price i mean that too right yeah yep. yeah there's a lot of ways to do that mm-hmm so, it, it, but then I think there are some benefits for the, the client results. But to me, like increased productivity, um, as I, I defined it in a recent email, is about you being able to use 
you know, you put in less labor and get bigger results for your clients. So you can do less and they get more. So it wasn't localized. In my mind, it's not localized. It's always with a client uh, because I guess the the tacit assumption is that if the clients are getting better results, then you're going to be doing better. Like you're going to end up doing better. You're creating more value mm-hmm. as long as you're capturing it, some percentage of it, then that's automatically going to grow your profitability. It might grow your revenue, probably will grow your revenue, but it'll definitely grow your profitability, which is the part of the money that you keep. <laughs> it's kind of like Yeah. And it, it's, it's funny because in expertise businesses, people don't always look very closely at profitability. I mean, they really don't because they're like, oh, well, I don't have any expenses. And then actually you do. <laughs> yeah. It's called your salary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a yeah. whole nother, that's another yeah. one that's come up a lot recently. It's like, it's like if you, if you had to go, if you were just going to like, you're a soloist, you're doing well and you feel like, oh, I don't have any expenses. I'm doing great. It's all profit. Like everything after tax, everything after my personal income taxes is profit. It's like, no, it's not. The business is not profitable. You have a good paying job, maybe. But if you were going to sit on a beach all day and hire someone as good as you to do your job instead of you, and at the end of the, you know, and I said, well, how much money would you have at the end of the year if you did that? And if the answer is not very much, then your business is not very profitable. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a critical distinction. I'm not sure if is that, I guess that that's a critical distinction because why is that? It reminds me of back of the employee thing, like where... <laughs> Someone will be like, it Here it comes into stark relief when you do hire that first mini me. So if you're, if you have that first mini me and you're like, wait, wait a second, <laughs> I've got all this, right? All of a sudden it's not all your money anymore. It never yeah. was. It, it yeah. was always the business's money first. And then you as an employee, you got paid. But when you hire that first employee, oh, it's a wake up call. It's like all of a sudden you're like, it's not all my money anymore. It's like, wow, this person's like, this is a lot of like, this is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and when you hire your first, you know, six figure employee, you take a really big gulp. You're like, okay. So in order to pay them a hundred thousand, I have to make, I don't know, 500,000 um, before I can pay myself. So yeah. 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 God, that, I mean, so many times I've heard of like the owner not getting paid for like months it, or like the employees are like making more money than the owner oh, like yeah. at, at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's like, why did you hire employees? If that's, mm-hmm. if that's, you know what I mean? If, if they, yep. that's the outcome. Like, well, unless you're sitting back doing nothing. Cause my theory was I always wanted to have employees make a lot of money because they were being really successful. So obviously I didn't just pay them a salary because mm-hmm. it, it's that it decouples those two things. But when I paid them based on, you know, the work that they did or the outcomes that they they met, they could make a lot of money. And I love mm-hmm. that. As mm-hmm. long as I was either making as much or I was working a lot less. Yeah. Right. right. Yes, in my my horror stories that I've heard, the owner is like never working less. Well, <laughs> and running around and, like a and let's talk about that for a second, because it happens a lot when you hire employees is because if you want to be a good employer, you think, oh, OK, I've got to watch out for my people. I have to make sure they're learning. I have to make sure they're safe and protected. I have to make sure that their, you know, their check goes into the bank account at the right amount of time. Yep. And what can happen is you can have a little bit of martyr syndrome in there. It's like I have to take care of everybody first. 
and myself last. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and obviously there's a lot of businesses that are the exact opposite. And we can point to a whole lot in the U.S. where it's about the boss first. But yeah, I think you just want to think about your natural personality, your natural leadership style, and just think through how this would work for you. And you know, what kinds of financial outcomes you believe are possible and likely, let's look at those as two different things, right? Possible and likely by hiring employees and then, you know, kind of work that through before you decide whether that's the right next step for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it sounds obvious, but, but it's like, do the math and ask yourself, like, why, why am I considering this? I guess that's probably the first question. Why am I considering this at all? You know, like, why don't I just say no to all of this work, like some of this work? Why don't I just, if you, if you are doing fixed pricing of some kind, which is critically important in this discussion, why don't you just raise your prices? And then that, that will decrease demand and you'll be making more doing less. Well, and let's recognize the sometimes not so subtle pressure that, you know, society, quote unquote, um, puts on us about having employees. You know, the example I think of is, you know, I I have a a side real estate business and people love to talk about how many doors they have. (laughs) I have four doors. I have a hundred doors. I have 300 doors. And obviously the 300 doors, well, that's better than one. Um, But it, you know, is the number of doors a measure of anything? No. It doesn't tell you how much money somebody's making, how much money they've lost, whether they have positive cash flow or negative yeah, cash flow. Yeah, they could all be empty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it tells tell you me how many tenants nothing. You <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of the same sort of thing like, well, how many employees do you have? Yeah. Oh, I mean, when I used to say, you know, because I had 20 people, about 19 at one point, and somebody would go, oh, wow. And I'm like, you are so impressed by the wrong things. Yes. You have, yeah, it's like, what does it matter if I have 19 people? 190 or one. I mean, unless you're the mayor and you want, you know, more people in in your town making taxable revenue um, or the governor. But yeah, it it always felt like the wrong measure. And yet at the same time, I'm not going to lie, I was really proud of that. Mm -hmm. I felt like a baller. You know, I had this group of people. I was responsible. People treated me like a big deal, even though I just had this little company. So it's like, I think my warning is, you know, don't fall into that thinking. Think for yourself and decide what's going to be the best fit for you. And and I think, you know, Jonathan and I, neither of us are saying having employees is bad. I think we're saying it's bad for us personally. Mm. It's not something we would choose to do right now. But when I had employees, I wanted them. I loved it until, you know, I was done. But I think it's really important to think it through rather than to make a decision based on, you know, what you think everybody else is doing or what you're supposed to do. Right. Exactly. It's like, think it through. What is the motivation? What will be the outcome? What, you know, probably what will mm-hmm. probably be the outcome of this? Uh, I mean, I've seen situations where, where the demand was real and hiring in the, and the window of opportunity might not be forever and they never are, but it might be a fairly small window of opportunity. And it made sense strategically to bring people on and capture the, you know, capture the opportunity, deliver the value and for a period of time like it it yeah it makes sense sometimes it's not my cup of tea obviously it's not your cup of tea right now either um 
it's just, I just hate that. I just, I've heard the story so many times where people are like, oh, I'm slammed. I got to hire. And it's like, no, just say no to some of the work. <laughs> that, well, that or at least scenario look, right look there. at it. Look at the work, right? Because what we think is profitable sometimes isn't. You know, the client where you have a fixed price and they take two times as much time as any of your other clients. You know, mm-hmm. why is that? I mean, just look at those things first before you make a snap judgment. Yes. But like, yeah, I, I, I feel like we, <laughs> I feel like I'm over, over hammering the point about like, cause every time somebody, every time I write about this, I get 20 emails of examples why it's, it's okay for the, the person responding to have in place. I'm like, I'm not saying they're a bad <laughs> thing. I just want I just want people to be successful and and I see a lot of people really get in over their heads because they hire employees for some kind of wrong reason without thinking through like the situation that's all. Yeah, I've gotten a few questions that I thought were really good questions in in response to some emails where they'd said, you know, I'm trying to figure it out if I should build an agency. So they're not asking should I hire employees, but should I build an agency? And you know, if you ask them a couple of questions, you can usually see the, the the writing on the wall pretty quickly. So like one person might say, well, what I really love to do is I love to strategize with the clients and I love meeting new people and basically selling. That's mm-hmm. what they love to do, yeah. but they don't yeah. want to do the work. <laughs> so in that situation, I'm like, well, yeah, an agency feels like that could be the right model for you. Why don't you try working with a contract person and see how it goes? Yeah. You don't have to hire an employee. You can find, you know, a designer. You could mm-hmm. find a writer. And and you can create an agency model without ever having employees. Or you might say, you know what? I did it on a contract basis, but I couldn't reliably get access to the people I need. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm ready to hire my first employee. Go right. for it. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've proven the model. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's like it's that would that would be if I was coaching someone and they went through that process, I would I would be not I would not be nervous for them. And the, and the I can't help myself from saying like you could also just say no to the implement implementation work and be a true consultant. Mm-hmm. So they say yeah. like you know come in do this the strategy the the sales part do the strategy or, and uh, all of that fun upfront stuff. And then they say, great, now we want you to build it. And it's like, I don't do that, but I'll, you know, you can pay me to oversee. Yeah, I can introduce you to a team that can do it. You can contract with them directly. And if you want, I will oversee to make sure that, um, you know, if they have any questions as they go through the implementation, they don't understand the blueprint or some surprise happens, I'll be available to answer questions, but I'm not, I'm not touching code or whatever the implementation is. Well, it goes back to your genius zone. And, and the code example is such a good one because it feels so black and white. I, I want to do code or I don't want to do code. Mm-hmm. The, the situation I'm thinking of is, is in um, agencies that are like brand marketing agencies where they come up with a strategy, but they don't trust anybody to do it to you know to execute mm-hmm. the way that they want it to or let's say implement because execute might be ongoing but implementation could be a one-time thing so right. maybe you do a brand strategy and it's about packaging for a particular kind of product and you you are the expert in that niche and you have a handful of of product design people that you go to it's like you want that as part of your project you want to wrap that in and you know and you're going to take a margin on on that but this way you have some control so again you know there's varying points 
along the continuum. And it really comes back to not just your genius zone, but what is it you want to create with your clients? Do you Mm -hmm. want to just do this and get the idea and then let them fly like little birds? (laughs) Or is it that, no, I don't want to let this go until I'm sure it's going to work. And either Mm -hmm. of those, you can build great businesses on either of those models. That it's totally true. The, the, the caution, the caution with the implementation piece, the caution that I is like that control freakishness of like, oh, well, no one can implement this, like my beautiful idea better than me. Um, that's a red flag to me. That's a, that's a bit of a red flag. Maybe oh, it's called a yellow flag because it, it sometimes it's definitely it's true. Like it's true. Right. Wait, but wait a minute. I just want to be clear that that's not what I was saying. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So what I was saying is when you want to make sure that it's done right? Because a lot of times clients don't know how to do this. They don't know how to pick a designer. They don't know how to figure out who the package is. It's not that you have to do it yourself, but you assemble the team and you oversee it. So, yes, but I, okay. I, I agree. Yes. We're, we're not looking for perfectionists here. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's not a great road to go down. Right. The other, if, if you were dear listener, if you were imagining like, oh, I could never just do strategy and not the implementation because they'll do it wrong. It could be that in your mind, you're really still selling deliverables, like in, to your, in your own mind, you're convincing yourself of your, of your value. It might not be, but it could be that you're still in that deliverables mindset and you, you're not yet seeing the value of the upfront piece that leads to the deliverables. If you see yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of value in that. Yeah. That and was the and you could flag. set up an advisory retainer with your client to help them figure out who to hire. You don't have to oversee all that. But if it's your genius zone and you know that's your element, then you design a business model so you can make really good money producing fantastic results for those clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm glad you said fantastic results and not beautiful work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I know. But uh, hopefully this has been helpful to someone. Is there anything we should close on? No, I mean, I, I guess um, aside from my dog shaking yeah, his Jackson head. Jackson needs to go I, on. <laughs> Jackson has some comments about this. I, I just think, I just want to reiterate that it's it, there isn't one right answer that applies to everybody. And it's it's really fun to experiment with this stuff in tiny steps. Like to go out and hire a mini me for a hundred grand when you're not sure what exactly what you're doing is too big a move too fast, but to experiment with these things and really find, you know, explore what your genius zone is and how you like to work with other people or not. I I think it's a really exciting thing to do. Agreed. Awesome. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.